welcome to episode three of Pathpod Stories. Today is Thursday, August 20th, 2020. In this episode, Pathpod is celebrating love. Today's show has three parts. In Act One, we will hear two stories about falling in love through the lives of two different sets of lovebirds. Listen as they interview each other. Tell us the backstory of love during the COVID-19 pandemic and find out which of the lovebirds describes themselves as similar to H&E. In Act 2, we will hear the stories of thanks from PathPod listeners to their most special teachers. Listen to how their love of learning was sculpted and guided through the support of their favorite teachers. And finally, in Act 3, we'll hear the stories of how select PathPod listeners fell in love with medicine and or pathology. And now, Act 1. Hi, I'm Gagandeep Kaur, PGY3 at Denbury Hospital. Hey, this is Aman. So today we will be sharing our wedding experience with everyone. We met through wedding websites like shadi.com and from there we first talked over the phone. And that first conversation was two hours long. I don't talk much over the phone. Really? You don't talk much? I think, Aman, you're talking about yourself. (laughs) So she is the most talkative person that I I ever spoke to before, uh, uh, you know, uh, I started seriously dating any woman. Hmm. Don't believe him. So, like I said, it was unusual to talk for so long. Actually, I can talk, but over the phone, it's very unusual for me. I think we spoke for an hour that day, right? Yeah, we did. More or less. I think more than that. More than that. See, so who is the talkative one here? (laughs) You. So, I, I was staying in Connecticut. I was in Jersey. And it was my first year of residency when we uh, talked over the phone. And like we talked like for so long and then we continued doing that. And after a week, we met at Mount Kisco, which was like about an hour from me and from him as well. I enjoyed that night. And the best thing I loved about him was his innocence. That's it? Just innocence? (laughs) Yeah, why don't you take that for now? (laughs) I'm fine with that. I'm okay. (laughs) So after that, we started meeting often, we started to speak often, we exchanged a lot of text over Snapchat, over messages, over WhatsApp, Uh, we, you know, talked at length about our family, uh, siblings, what do they do, uh, our common friends that we had, and uh, we thought it was something, a sort of a common connection that we had, we, so we thought of, you know, carrying it uh, uh, a little bit further and continuing with it yeah and um, over the time we didn't realize like when we fell in love with each other and I think uh, I went to Singapore for my vacation and that's the time when I realized that I am missing him because we used to meet so often over the weekends and over the week and um, even I was with my family but still felt like something was missing so uh, when I came back, we again started meeting more often and my parents came in August to visit me in USA. And and I remember when she was uh, back in Singapore, she once got mad at me just because I, I eat some sugar, maybe a, a couple of spoons in a day. 
and uh, she went all frenzy because she thought I was overweight, uh, my BMI was high, which is not actually that high, I would say. <laughs> but yeah, uh, even when she was in Singapore, we uh, we stayed in touch. Uh, we had a lot of you know communication back and forth. I picked her up when she uh, when she came back. Uh, and uh, then we we just carried on from there we started meeting every weekend and every other chance that we got i used to spend uh, my weekends with her which was the best part uh, the best weekends i i ever had yeah we went to uh, boston rhode island new york and like every weekend we used to go somewhere we used to go for hikes uh, waterfalls and it, it was a it was really fun yeah that was 2019 and fast forward to uh, you know december or uh, somewhere around february or january 2020 when this covid situation started all of us shattered and and there was a lot of changes uh, uh, that that every people was going through uh, we had been planning our wedding uh, but before that i think it was a proposal thing right? yeah yeah so you waited for my family to come <laughs> here That's and right. then and then it was my uh, cousin's uh, baby shower and all of the sudden like he was the only one from uh, like uh, not part of that particular family and yeah. and we all were dancing and suddenly uh, the dj guy said that uh, aman has a special request and i couldn't understand like what's happening and one, he started dancing and suddenly in front of everyone he proposed me and yes obviously i said yes so from then um, we were thinking of getting married in november but we could not because of some issues with our visas and finally it went over and over and we decided in april to get married and covid happened and i was in actually uh, a scap meeting we both went there together and there we realized that this covid is actually uh, going to be bad and so we took our time and decided what to do but we postponed for that particular time in april but i think we still went many many back and forth with uh, with our discussions and our families uh, you know it was hard to decide with many of the changes going around uh, uh, people losing their jobs uh, uh, traveling uh, to different countries or even within states uh, getting banned and people just locked inside their home and nobody knows what this disease was what this what what, what the problem is with the covid and nobody there and, and even today they don't know what what the problem is and what is the solution to this problem so it was hard to decide and it was uh, you know hard to hold ourselves back also because at the same time you cannot plan your future ahead you cannot really you know take steps ahead in your in your future and go about your plans so uh, it was a dicey situation so uh, every now and then uh, we used to talk with our families uh, this is what you should be doing this is what should be done let's wait for a month let's wait for a week let's see what happens next so it was a very dicey situation it was and it was hard to decide and nobody knew how much how much time it was going to take so i think we took a logical call we we decided that it's okay to get married and uh, let's let's decide that let's decide with something something concrete plan about getting married and all yeah and uh, i always dreamed about my wedding like a typical fat indian wedding where my husband will be coming on horse and like i will enter the palace with that particular music i had in my mind <laughs> so yeah <laughs> and also i'm the first child of my family so it was a big deal for them and for my friends because they are eagerly waiting for me to get married 
so it was very 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 uh, hard decision for us to make aman is the first son uh, in his family so uh, but this was what our family wanted this is what we decided and based on that we we proceeded it was like a month before when we decided the date and then it went all crazy because it was just me and aman who had to decide every single thing how we going to do uh preparations so the photographer the makeup the henna artist and uh, the catering so it was it was like crazy that particular month i used to go to work and in the, like over like in on my desk continuously i'm over phone talking to this place that people deciding the venue for our sangeet uh that that's like a musical night before the actual wedding day and i don't know like how many places i have called for that venue me and aman over the weekend went over to like maybe 20 25 places because of covid they were all restricting people but finally we did it and the best part was that uh my friends from the residency program aman friends from the jersey they joined us and uh they were like our families because our families were not there from india um uh, our relatives or extended cousins from other part of the us could not join because the quarantine order was put into force so that's how it happened yeah i think uh, you said pretty much uh, that happened so uh so we so considering the situation we thought of doing a very you know small and a private sort of a function where we would only invite our immediate uh, relatives uh, or uh, maybe second or third cousins whatever we had in the us but even they couldn't make it because again it was an interstate ban and quarantine in place and people had the last moment plans calling off that they won't be able to make it but we still stick to our plan because uh, we didn't want to delay this further um, and yeah i mean like uh, she already said uh, we we didn't had a family here and the family both of us family was in india and the only few people that we had here was like family to us and they were the ones who held up helped us out in 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 much of the things you know uh, things like uh, uh, planning with the uh, sangeet ceremony the dancing stuff uh, during those parties uh, taking care of some arrangements uh, made be some decorations or catering or uh, you know uh, shuttling between uh, uh, between uh, different places uh, uh, to manage few things uh, so yeah it was a short and a sweet occasion and uh, the good part is uh, uh, you know uh, the good part about the situation is uh, uh, you had an opportunity to uh, you know uh, make sure like uh, only few immediate loved ones are invited to your wedding not everybody like the, the big fat indian wedding which i was you know not very comfortable with <laughs> so 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 i think pretty much that's it uh, you know uh, this situation brought a lot of changes into everybody's life uh, uh, gagan and myself included and uh, and uh, we are glad we did it yeah yeah and the the best part was that our families joined all the ceremonies which we did mehndi sangeet haldi uh, the main wedding event by zoom and they were very very happy and that's what made me really happy uh, like after talking to them that they were actually more excited and more happier than what we were because we were definitely missing them and i'm sure they were missing us but uh, they actually could attend everything and 
we did all the ceremonies over the videos and talking to them so mm-hmm. we we kind of made made it like that as if they were present here and we were there so it went all smooth because of that and that's technology <laughs> zoom you know <laughs> yeah so so zoom is like a thing now i would say so that helped us uh, connecting together with our families so this is our wedding story our passport story i would say <laughs> wedding in covid times thank you everyone for joining and blessing us thank you I'm Hansini Lehwani and I'm a third year pathology resident at University of Mississippi Medical Center and today I'm going to share a wonderful story of how I met my husband. And on the other side we have Shankar Das Kunnamadam who is my husband and he is a gastroenterology fellow at Indiana University. So we actually were friends for a week and then uh, we dated for three more weeks and exactly after one month we got married uh, well i know so, it is like quite weird and people find it very funny also and they say that oh i have taken like a huge step in just one month but honestly i never believed in the concept of dating so so um how is it for you that you know we are apart how do you like the long distance relationship or long distance marriage i know we have been apart for like two years and uh, we still have two more years to go and then one year of me doing fellowship so maybe like 3 years so what do you have to say about it well it is definitely hard you know living a long distance relationship but um, that sort of life on visa for most of us uh but then i'm not going to lie there's um, everything has plus and minus some of the plus are i i get to mess up my apartment as much as i want um i get to dump my clothes wherever wherever i want to so those are some of the very significant positives to um yeah. close to living a life living your life i miss you every single day so much and um you know time is passing by so fast i still remember the first day when i uh, came over here i was crying so much and i was missing you so much and then we i used to fly before covid happened i used to fly almost like every other weekend to see you especially on light rotations i used to travel every weekend and if it was like a really busy rotation then definitely alternate weekends and now that with covid i think it's been really hard for both of us because we are not able to travel as much as we used to especially uh, you remember shankar like in the beginning like when the the lockdown was announced and um the domestic flights were cancelled so it was like after three it uh, three months had gone by and we did not meet meet each other you remember that um yes uh, those three months uh, not even one day i was able to eat or drink anything <laughs> uh, i was i, I almost in tears every day you know i remember myself walking around in the canal here looking at the sky i'm like oh my god when i'm going to meet her i i was really painful three months i agree So Shankar what else would you like people to know about us 
Well, we are like uh, H and E stain. Like, you know, if I'm H, you are E, and together we complement each other and we make a great uh, couple. That is fancy. Thank you so much, Shankar. That was really nice of you. And what did you do today? Today, I was, uh, most of the time, I just spent thinking about you and not doing anything else, which is a joke. I was cooking, watching TV, watching one movie after the another, binging Netflix. So basically enjoying your bachelorhood. No, I wouldn't say that. So this is how we generally have our routine conversations. And this is Dr. Hansneen Herwani. And this is my bad pod story. Hope you like it. Thank you. Bye-bye. There are many tragedies around the COVID-19 pandemic. Too many lives have been lost, and all of our lives have been dramatically changed. One part of our lives that I'm particularly sad about today at what would have been the start of our usual school year is how the pandemic has affected our children in schools. Before I get into the details, I just wanted to issue a disclaimer that we completely understand that going to virtual learning is important and necessary. We are in support of all of these changes. We withdrew our kids from school before they officially shut down to try to help flatten the curve. Nevertheless, it's not an easy decision. I've always loved school. I was a kid who hated Fridays. I actually hated summers too because that meant I wouldn't be able to go to school. Now as a mom looking at my kids, it is sad to see the weeks of virtual learning now stretching into maybe a year, maybe longer. I'm particularly sad for my 14-year-old daughter, Maddie. Last October, when we lived in Ohio, her days were long and filled with school, band practice, Spanish homework, golf practice, seeing her friends, and more. There were days when she left school before I woke up and she didn't get back home from school until after I went to bed. And she loved these busy days. Then we moved to Colorado and almost none of the activities that she loved were supported by her new smaller magnet school. We tried to piecemeal her favorite activities through this and that with the overall theme reminding her that high school was just around the corner. It would be better than she could ever imagine. And thankfully, the stars aligned and she did get into East High School, which was a miracle. There would be marine biology, golf, Spanish, art, engineering, genetics. Every type of class she could ever hope to take is would be provided by East High School. She met the girls' golf team and her eyes lit up. She found her place. And then COVID-19 hit. I realized that we are a, a lucky group. We're financially intact and healthy. But as I see her hopes for a new year, a new start, a new beginning, postponed indefinitely, I realize now that I never really appreciated all the wonder of all the big and small memories that come with school. For example, shopping for new school supplies, getting that right before the school, first day of school haircut, learning in a classroom filled with other students, 
playing on the monkey bars, walking with friends between classes, going to the Friday night high school football game, sports of all sorts, school pizza, school trips, all the things. And teachers are at the heart of making all of this happen. Today, PathPod celebrates our love of our teachers, specifically of our very first teachers who knew us way back when we were small, smelly, dirty, rough, little wild children. Thank you for shaping us into who we are today. Never have we been more proud to have people who dedicate their lives to teaching our smallest people how to read, how to write, how to treat each other. We don't say it enough, but thank you. Now on to Act Two. I'm Dr. Sarah Jang, and this is my PathPod story. When I was a kid, we moved around a lot, and we kind of lived all over the place. I grew up all over the place, Chicago, California, South Carolina, North Carolina. And as a kid, I was always going somewhere new, making some friends, feeling comfortable, and then we'd move away. And one of the hardest moves was when we moved to Charleston, South Carolina from Southern California. Uh, It was pretty tough. This was a big move, Um, especially because I ended up both moving to a new city, moving within the city, and uh, then skipping a grade. So I ended up being at three schools over two years, and it was middle school, so kind of not a great time at baseline. So there I was each time, this new kid with the giant glasses who had skipped a grade and who clearly wasn't from around those parts. Uh, So it it was not a particularly fun time uh, in my memories. So I ended up skipping yet another grade and going to the Academic Magnet High School in Charleston. And I really found my place there. It was a small school. There were lots of, well, let's just say nerdy, (laughs) you know, bookish kids like me and passionate teachers, challenging classes. And I made a group of really wonderful friends. Then about halfway through my sophomore year, My parents got yet another job and we were going to move somewhere else and I was devastated. I mean, here I was after all this time, finally feeling somewhere where I belonged and I was thriving and I was going to have to start all over again. Um, And so here's where my teacher, Miss Mears, comes in. Charlotte Mears was my biology teacher and biology, of course, is always my favorite subject and she was an amazing teacher, bright, enthusiastic, funny. And at that time, I must have confided in her how sad I was that I was going to have to leave. And she made the most amazing offer. Um, She said, well, you know, why don't you come stay with me and finish out the rest of your sophomore year? And I was like, no way. But but she was serious. And we discussed it with my parents. And we all agreed it would be best for me, you know, both socially and academic to go ahead and finish out the year. I mean, so yeah, I mean, can you imagine (laughs) taking in a teenager, um, but she was brave and kind. And certainly, you know, I wasn't a bad kid by any means, but I'm pretty sure I could be a pain like any other teenager. Um, But yeah, so I was a guest in her home and we butted heads a little bit, but overall it was great. You know, I got to finish my year. Um, We would go out for wings. She had season tickets to the local hockey team. So I got really into minor league hockey, ghosting race. And of course, I got to finish out my year with my friends. 
And so it was just amazing. Not only was she a wonderful teacher who fed my love of science and biology, which led me to where I am today as a physician, but it was just so amazingly generous of her to share her time and her home with me so I could finish out that year. So thank you, Mrs. Mears, for that amazing gift. Kamran Mirza, and this is my Pathbot story. So we're talking about elementary school teachers, and I have to bring up the story of one of my favorite teachers ever, and her name is Mrs. Sharon Winskowski. This was in the West Midlands in the United Kingdom in a city called West Bromwich, and I used to go to a school called All Saints Church of England School, and I had the pleasure of being taught by Mrs. Winskowski in both first grade and third grade. Her last name was kind of difficult to spell for a third grader, but she had an amazing way for us to all remember how to spell it. And I'm pretty certain to this day, all of my class fellows can probably spell it correctly. That was the kind of teacher she was, just lucid, amazing, caring and kind, uplifting in a way that I can still sense her positive presence. I moved back to Pakistan after third grade, and I remember that we started exchanging postal mail so we were pen pals for a few years. And the last letter that I received from her had some great news in it, and that was that she had become a mom. So that was her first child, and we were very excited. And for purposes of privacy, I'm not going to say the name of her son. However, she had mentioned the name of her son and her son's birthday in that email. In, not in that email. See, this is so funny. It wasn't an email. It was a, 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 a paper mail, right? Snail mail. And so time went on and we both went our different ways and that was that. Then Facebook came into our lives and I didn't think of it immediately, but a few years after having a Facebook account, I realized I wanted to look her up and find her. And this time I think I was in medical school and or even after medical school, to be honest with you. And I searched her name and I, you know, used all sorts of different combinations and I couldn't find her. I found a few with her name, but they didn't seem like they were the right person. And one day I had the epiphany that, you know, I know her son's name and her son actually was more likely to be on social media perhaps. And not only did I know the son's name, I also knew the son's birth date. And so like a crazy person, like legit stalker style, I looked up the son's name um, and I found three or four hits because it was an unusual kind of last name. You know, there weren't that many people. And so, again, like a crazy person, I messaged on Facebook all of those individuals that had the son's last name. And I basically wrote like, um, you know, I can't even imagine now thinking about how I did it, but I wrote an email, like a message that said that, you know, my name is Kamran Mirza and I was taught, maybe I was taught by your mom, uh, you know, at All Saints Church of England School in West Bromwich in the West Midlands, you know, from this time to this time. And are you her son and is your birthday on this particular day? Because that's the only information I knew. So from two or three accounts, I didn't get any messages back and I wasn't surprised. But one day I got a reply back saying that, yes, that is my mom. I am her son 
and I will be sure to pass along your message to her. And I provided my email address. And a few days later, I got an email from Mrs. Winskowski. I can tell you, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I can explain it to you like just through my voice, but I was so excited. You know, now a grown-up with kids myself who are probably, you know, similar age to when she was teaching me. And, you know, she was doing well. She was retired and she is retired. She's doing, you know, she's totally fine. And we exchange a couple of emails and we, you know, once in a while still exchange emails. And I think that if I plan to go back to the United Kingdom for vacation or whatever, I'd love to look her up and find her. We exchanged some old pictures that she had and that I had, and it was so lovely to reconnect. You know, it's amazing how social media has us connected, and it's amazing how early educators in our lives can leave such an indelible mark in us. And you know, it truly speaks to the importance of education and teaching and how much we need to value our teachers because they are they're the stones that have made the pavement of our lives and we owe so much to these teachers and i only hope and pray uh, that i can be the kind of teacher that she was to me to anyone who comes across uh, my teaching in my classroom thank you mrs winskowski for being a fantastic primary school teacher uh, you have taught me so many lessons and i am honored to have been your student Swales, and this is my PathPod story. One of my favorite teachers growing up uh, was Mr. Dunn. He taught sixth grade, uh, and he was, I, I remember being very intimidated by him at first. He was my first uh, male teacher, and he had a rumor for being very strict and very no-nonsense, and he didn't really put up with anything. He was also the boys' um, basketball coach, and I had seen that sort of intensity and that sort of discipline firsthand when watching basketball games. So I was really, I wasn't concerned, but I was a little, um, I was trepidatious to start school that year, which was a, an unusual feeling for me because I was always so... I loved school. I loved going to school. I was one of those kids that that played school um, during the summer. Uh, so that was an unusual feeling for me. But my fears ended up being really unfounded. I mean, he, yes, he was very strict. Yes, he was uh, very exacting with what he wanted. Yes, he expected um, not perfection, but he expected the very best out of his students. And that's uh, one reason why he was one of my favorites, he, even in sixth grade, I was, I read very, uh, way ahead grade level. I was reading high school level books and stuff. Um, I remember doing a, a report on, uh, teenage prostitution actually. And while I wasn't allowed to read my report in front of the class, he, actually had used that report as like a springboard as a springboard for um the conversation with our class which i don't know um at that time in the you know in the late 80s in a small town i don't know that a lot of teachers would have done that 
um, or even allowed me to write on the topic in the first place. Um, he was also very into really teaching, uh, like how you treat people. Like, yes, you can be strict and you can have boundaries and expectations, but you still treat people well. And I think that the lessons I learned from Mr. Don, I really carried throughout my year. And I'm very grateful that I had him as a teacher. Imperio, and this is my Pathpod story. I got to say that I've been lucky. In general, I always said good teacher with some rare exceptions. But I guess that my favorite one during the primary school has been the music teacher. I know that probably is not the classical answer one would expect from a pathologist. But when I was a child, the way my music teacher introduced us to the subject really impressed me of course in a positive way. Uh, while all my other friends in their classroom were studying boring theories on the notes, uh, harmony, technical composition on the instruments, music history, our teacher was explaining us how to play and sing the most popular radio hit and the most famous Italian songs. I will never forget the day she brought the guitar in the classroom and the face of all the people entering attracted by the music with the reaction watching and hearing lots of children singing Volare, oh. Unfortunately, she has been my teacher only for the first three years. After her, I started to study all the boring stuff my other friends were used to study in the other classes. But I always get in touch with her until now. Actually, I thought many years have passed since that time, and I moved from my birth city for the university about 10 years ago. Whenever I had the chance, I tried to come and visit her to play and sing together some of those songs. I didn't become a musician for sure, but I guess that my passion for music and guitar has to be attributed at least in part to her way of teaching. So, at the end, what can I say thanks to my music teacher? Transition to Act 3. Do you have a story theme for PathPod? Do you have a story that you'd like to share? Well, we would love to hear from any of you on any topic. Common themes include how did you get into pathology? What is your day-to-day life like? How COVID has impacted your life? Future theme ideas include interviewing your best friend, interviewing your mentor, maybe interviewing your hero or heroine. Send your MP3 or MP4 audio file to pathpod2020 at gmail.com. Make sure to end your recording with your name. This is Dr. Christina Arnold, for example, and this is my PathPod story. Include a photo, a headshot or a fun photo that might relate to your story, and put this on your CV under your media or education session. We'd love to hear from you. As we move on to Act 3, we are about to hear from our PathPod friends who will share their love of medicine and pathology. Stay with us.
Hi, uh, I am Dr. Swikriti Patai Baskoda, and this is my path part story about how I got into medicine and ultimately into pathology. Uh, I'm originally from Nepal. Nepal is a small country situated in southeast of Asia. Um, I, uh, I grew up in a small nuclear family of six with my mom and dad, two sisters and one brother. We were very poor, uh, but um, my parents made sure that we get best of the education. It's very cultural from where I come that uh, I, um, you know, like family provide the best education and ultimately we go into um, med school or engineering school or become a lawyer. Um, it's like it's only the education that can change your life. It's a social belief in country like Nepal or many of the South Asian countries. So my parents made sure that I go to the best school. However, going to a med school was a tough bet. Either you have to pay a lot of money or you have to be like really good and sit in a scholarship exam provided by the Ministry of uh, Education and uh, you will be competing against um, thousands of people for hundreds of seats. So uh, my sister was already doing competing for these scholarships for med school for three years in a row uh, when I graduated from my high school. So my dad um, uh, convinced me to appear for these scholarship tests just for once to support my sister. Uh, I knew it was a plot for me to get into med school, but I thought I would take a chance. I was interested to do genetic engineering, but uh, we sat together, studied with my sister and um, sat for the test. Unfortunately, I got into the med school on my first attempt, but my sister didn't. She got into the med school the following year. The first six months of my med school were really tough. I didn't realize being far away from my family would be that tough. That too, uh, if you haven't heard about it, in our part of the um, world, um, the uh, culture called ragging, where the seniors kind of like harass the incoming juniors, made them do, you know, bo respect them, ask them to sing, bow their head in front of them, were very common. So that kind of rubbed me off in a wrong way. So I used to write letters to my parents, you know. I was like really not happy for the six months, but once I realized the impact of my job, to the society, I kind of got um, molded to becoming a doctor, but I didn't realize what my life was yet uh, opening me into. After my first year of med school, um, I started getting monthly episodes of week-long abdominal pain and vomiting. It took me really many years, my entire medical school, uh, actually... Uh, residency, over 20 diagnoses to finally figure out what was wrong. Um, as a part of this entire process, I once had a liver biopsy, which was misread, and it led to a very long and painful workup. Although it was a difficult few months, it did interest me in how a few slides could change my life and those around me so much. It forced me to look deeper into the role that we have as a physician to frame the diagnosis of a disease and hence motivated me to become a pathologist.
But at the same time, I was already so much interested into emergency medicine. You know, the thought of uh, saving a patient who is really sinking, like saving even one life was really instant, um, uh, instant, instant satisf- satisfaction. I was really not ready to give that up since of giving away the, the stethoscope and um, not seeing the patient was too much. So when I, st- again, the same uh, history repeats, you have to go through the same scholarship test while, go- while sitting for the, um, for the entrance exam for the residency. And you don't really get to choose what you want to do like you do here, like you're ap- applying only for internal medicine or pathology. You kind of compete for a general entrance exam back home. And if you are uh, if you score rank number one in that general um, entrance exam, then you get to choose what subspeciality you want to go to. So like the higher you are, more possibility that you want to go to whatever you want to do. I, for the first two times I got, uh, uh, after the test results were out, there were not many choices left, except for pathology, anesthesia, OBGYN. I mean, I w- out of those three, I would likely choose pathology, but I did not. It happened twice. But in the third exam that I was supposed to give, we could make choices, th- three choices. I made choices of internal medicine, dermatology, and uh, pathology. My name was out in pathology since it was the third time I felt like I cannot give it away and I thought I should try it out and honestly I did enjoy pathology the second day I still remember the second day of my residency where we were taken to a clinical pathology and radiology meeting where the neurosurgical team meets with the radiology and the pathology team monthly and they go over their monthly cases and discuss the clinical aspects with the radiological and the pathological correlation. Then I realized what pathology actually does. Then and there I decided I'm going to continue doing pathology and contribute to the society. Um, during the third year of my uh, residency in Nepal, I got an opportunity to do an observership in uh, Joan Hunter's hospital in Australia. This was a lifetime opportunity uh, for me, which opened up a very broad aspect of pathology to me. It showed me what pathology is really um, in a broader aspect. In Nepal, um, our diagnosis in pathology is totally based on morphology. We do not have a lot of uh, immunostochemical stains, ancillary studies, and uh, flow cytometry support. Hence, uh, many of in many instances, we are limited and we are not able to provide a definitive answers to the clinicians and oncologists. So in many instances, we felt like we are not of that great help but when I did this observership in Australia my perception of what really pathology is changed in an entirety like 
you could tell what not only what the tumor was, what mutation is going on there, and what therapeutic target you can use, and whether that will completely eliminate the tumor or not. You can even predict the therapeutic response. That these two months of amazing experience at Joan Hunter's hospital motivated me to go back to Nepal and read through um, USMLE and sit for the test while I was working as an attending pathologist for two years to come to the United States. I chose United States over Australia because all of my three siblings were already either in United States or were in a process of moving to United States. I am glad that I chose pathology and it has been more than seven years I got into this field and I am still amazed by how pathology can make an impact in someone's life. Thank you for the opportunity. tell people that I did not choose a career in medicine. I was born into it. I come from a long line of doctors. My grandfather was a surgeon. My father is a family medicine doctor. And I wanted to do something that really mattered. When I was in medical school, I wanted to be an oncologist really bad. Unfortunately, that was the time that one of my aunts was diagnosed with breast cancer. I had to accompany her to the hospital for testing and for treatment. And the anger and depression that I felt in the oncology wards was what I was not looking for for the rest of my life. I did not even know that pathology was a career choice until I finished medical school. You know, even my mom thinks that pathology involves handling people's bodily fluids and feces. My mother-in-law tells people that I'm a paleontologist, or on a good day, a proctologist. When it came time to choose a specialty for Pakistan's version of USMLE Step 1, I chose internal medicine because that's what all the cool kids were doing. Well, I failed that test. I took it again, and I failed again. That is when a wise man, seeing my knack for pathology, pointed me in that direction. This time, I aced the test on my first attempt. I still remember the smell of formalin from the first time that I entered a gross room during my residency in Pakistan. Oh, oh well, I immediately regretted my decision. And it took a while. Ten months into the residency, I realized that if I have to be miserable, I'll be miserable at a more exotic place. That is how I ended up in West Virginia. The rest, as they say, is history. I owe much thanks to Dr. Ali for redirecting me. Dr. Medeiros for being the only person to respond to my email asking for an observership, and my sweet wife for pestering and occasionally encouraging me to follow up with people during the match process. 
My name is Dr. Abdul Abed, and this is my PathPod story. To say that I was pre-med in kindergarten is not an exaggeration. From an early age, I admired my very kind pediatrician, and I looked up to my cousins and uncles who were physicians. I seemed to always want to sit next to them at our holiday dinners. However, what really confirmed my pre-med status at just six years old was my father's premature death from cancer at this time. Although his suffering and my family's sadness were the main elements I associated with his death, I was also fascinated by the medical care he received and stunned by how a seemingly healthy human body, in fact one that even ran marathons every year, could be so quickly destroyed by an illness. The important role that physicians play in the lives of patients and their families became very clear to me. I immediately knew at this point that I wanted to become a physician, specifically in hopes of curing cancer. For an assignment in the fifth grade, where I was asked to write a report about a role model and give a presentation about this person, I chose to study Elizabeth Blackwell, the first woman physician. I wore my friend's father's stethoscope during my presentation, and I loved feeling the part of a doctor. As I progressed through school, I gained experiences related to medicine, and I realized additional reasons for why I wanted to become a physician. In high school, I participated in a pre-medical summer program, tutored younger students, and volunteered at a local senior center. I thought that the human body was fascinating, enjoyed teaching others, and loved learning about the unique life experiences of the senior center's members. While in college, I recognized my passion for bioethics and I began to appreciate the importance of bioethics to the practice of medicine. By researching ethical reasoning and wisdom as a human development major, I considered the ethical dimensions of medicine. It occurred to me that the right answers are often unclear and that medicine is just as much of an art as it is a science. I realized that not only knowledge, but also good judgment, communication, and critical thinking are key to patient care. The physicians who I most admired when shadowing were the individuals who so compassionately and ethically conversed with and treated their patients. These reflections made me more enthusiastic about the prospect of becoming a physician. The pre-medical program that I participated in the summer before my senior year of college powerfully shaped my interest in medicine. My peers and I spent one of the program's days with a pathologist, Dr. W., He first gave a presentation to us about the history of the autopsy and its importance to medicine. Dr. W. explained how the autopsy is a valuable tool for better understanding the pathogenesis of diseases as well as identifying potential treatments. As I listened to examples of current medical knowledge gained from postmortem findings, I became captivated. Especially touching was learning that our knowledge about cancer has improved through autopsy examinations. Dr. W. also worried aloud that the autopsy has lost its preeminence as a powerful tool in evidence-based medicine. I was intrigued and perplexed by how autopsy rates have declined substantially despite the procedure's great utility. With my head still wrapped around this, Dr. W. led my peers and I downstairs to the morgue. 
There, I observed Dr. W meticulously examine every organ in the body of 94-year-old patient Miss S. Never before had I recognized the direct clinical relevance of the biology and chemistry I studied, and it was extremely exciting. When Dr. W carefully observed Miss S's adrenal gland, he pointed out a mass that could have been either benign or malignant. I asked if it was related to the excess facial hair on Miss S's lip. Dr. W responded that I had just made an important clinical connection. I became even more interested as the autopsy progressed and a clearer picture illustrating the possible causes of Miss S's death emerged. I also consider the connections between the autopsy and bioethics, such as the highly tactful and ethical communication that the pathologist should utilize in conversations with family members of the decedents. Compelled to share what I learned with others and to help address misunderstandings about the autopsy, I wrote an article for my college newspaper about the procedure. These meaningful experiences prompted me to consider pathology as a specialty choice for the first time. Since starting medical school last fall at the Loyola University Chicago Stritch School of Medicine, I have pursued my interest in pathology further along with my passion for bioethics. I am currently working on a research project about the autopsy with the amazing doctors Cameron Mirza of the pathology department and Emily Anderson of Stritch's Bioethics Institute. I have come to realize that even without curing cancer like my six-year-old self had once dreamed of me doing, I will consistently be helping patients, learning, and exploring ideas with others as a future physician. For this, I am extremely excited and grateful. This is Emily Hagen, and this is my Path Pod story. Emmanuel Joshua Garcia, second year medical student in the Philippines. I've been an avid fan of PathPod podcast, and the most recent one about Father's Day inspired me to share mine as well. So here it is, my PathPod story. Love has always been a multifaceted word, so meaning always manages to slip my fingers. I can give a dozen examples, tens of stories about love. Perhaps it is just destined that its concrete meaning escape my grasp. I can tell that love is the chicken skin my grandmother saves for me every time we go out to eat fried chicken. I can surmise is the lingering smile my mother gives me seconds before I press that end call on our weekly calls. Or the way Robins in my most is my most worn-out book. The edges, freed from use. A little snack stain here and there. My eyes, already accustomed to what color belongs to what chapter. I can tell all of these, yet still need a few minutes to rearrange my thoughts whenever love is asked of me. For now, however, I will tell a story. A story of my love for pathology. I first knew pathology in my undergraduate studies. We had our, our required course of histology, and the moment I had the chance to look at a microscope, I just fell in love with the world within our world. 
The piece of time frozen in those two pieces of glass. It was love at first sight, or should I say, first slide. But I wanted to know more, so I went to medicine. In our first year of medical school, I saw a familiar face in our course list, histology. I remembered spending time coloring those individual worksheets and making sure they were aligned to what I see in the microscope. It was easier the second time around, seeing smooth, skeletal, cardiac muscle for what is my second time. If you haven't guessed yet, I'm one of those eager beavers, always early to borrow and later return the practice slides as well as the microscope. Second year came and in my list of subjects came pathology. I bought that Robin's book and remembered having commented that it is quite a bulky book. But little did I know I would actually enjoy bringing it almost every day throughout med school. Well, up until the pandemic. Every pathology lecture I would always sit with my best friend right up front nearest the speaker's podium. A wide smile on my face, a nod every now and then. Every week, I always would look forward to pathology, and in our first semester, it was destined to be a Friday subject. It was my weekly breather, like going to the beach or climbing a mountain. I received my weekly serotonin dose from pathology lecture, and man, that sounds nerdy. But nerdy as I was, each lecture that ended, I find myself with affirming comments from the pathologist lecturer. I always made sure to ask whenever I can, and they always appreciated the interaction. Never was I condemned for my curiosity, but I was further encouraged. Later on, I remembered an exchange from my best friend, continued to actually grace me with her presence in those two seats nearest the podium. Having just finished the lecture on heat bath, me marveling on the complexity yet beauty of the translocations and how they translate to a still image on the slide, I asked her, well, don't you agree? But in her answer that followed, I realized that I am really an oddball. To that point, I've always thought that I share with everyone the overwhelming appreciation for the HD slide, the molecular rearrangements, the zebras hidden among the horses. Though saddened, I guess it was also a moment of empathy as later on I admitted I also do not share her thrill and passion for psychiatry and public health. By late 2019, I began to discover the path side of Twitter just by stumbling in a post by Dr. Gardner about normal skin histology, a YouTube tutorial. 
and from there on out, I just knew I had opened Pandora's box, taken in or releasing the most amazing things. As a medical student, I once fell into the monotony of the system, summarized perfectly by a doctor once telling us to just keep the quizzes and the exams. One day, they just run out. That, that, once that moment arrives, we'll just be doctors. But all of these changed when I entered Path Twitter. There was something new every day. Always a new case, a new te teaching moment, a new slide I have to work through. But these were not my best takeaways. It was seeing physicians in a different light. Going into medicine, always looked at physicians as gods on pedestals. I mean, who doesn't? But Med Twitter and Pat Twitter made me see physicians actually being humans, admiring them for their amazing photographs, their sprawling home gardens, or even just stirring a cup of coffee. The barrier that I set up myself was lifted, an inner fear of commuting communicating with, with these doctors looking too green too novice in their eyes that I may look too insignificant but you know what I've embraced it it became my brand I became known as the second year Filipino med student who keeps asking in these bad Twitter cases or giving the wrong answers but now I'm getting the hang of it. As COVID-19 dawned upon the planet, a silver lining and a locked door opened for me. The green pasture of online learning, and with this cornucopia of virtual lectures, hashtag cap virtual path, virtual path grand rounds, the MT Anderson heen path lectures, pathcast lectures, all of these became available to me. I've always had a love for knowledge, but more so for the community which fosters learning. Maybe I've been too myopic before, putting value on competition and grades. But this year has been so different in that aspect that I had a 360 degree turn, though I know that turn was for the better. And the virtual community does not stop the moment I log off Twitter. I have it with me. Daily interactions, interactions with my classmates, even in our online classes. And I've come to realize that maybe in the appreciation of the disease, and finding that we can explain it, that we can confine it, we can imprison it in some way in those two glass lights, we lose the fear of the unknown. Sorry for keeping you up with my long story, but if I have proven anything today, it's that I suck at explaining what love really is.
But at least I told you a good story about it. It has been your second year Filipino medical student, Path Twitter curious commenter, Emmanuel Sugarcia, and this is my PathPod story. Support for the free PathPod podcast comes from listeners who like it and share it with their friends. So go ahead, send someone the link. And be sure to subscribe to PathPod wherever you download your podcasts. PathPod is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not medical advice. As always on the podcast, any views expressed are solely those of the person speaking and do not necessarily represent their employers, their affiliated institutions, affiliated professional organizations, other speakers on the program, their friends, their families, their pets, or anyone involved in the production and distribution of this podcast. Thanks for listening to PathPod.